You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were, afra- they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm reading from the book of Mark. Chapter 11, verses 20 through 25. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, and also uh, there should be a GPS guide in your bulletin to help kind of guide you through our sermon this morning. When was the last time that you got angry? You know the kind of anger I'm talking about. You can feel your heart rate start to increase Your breathing gets a little shallow. Your brow gets very furrowed. Our son Owen loves to say, I'm angry like the Hulk. 
And he starts to turn a little green when he says that. Well, in our passages for this morning, Jesus seems to get very, very angry. And maybe you've, haven't, maybe you've never imagined Jesus getting angry like this before. Most of us have a kind of flower child Mr. Rogers image of Jesus in which he stays calm and cool and collected at all times. But there are moments, if you lean in, when you can see his face starting to get red, you can hear him sigh in frustration, and you can watch his eyes begin to show that he is angry. And this is one of those moments. We are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark, and specifically we are looking at the last week of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark. Last week we looked at the Sunday of that last week when Jesus rode into Jerusalem from the east as a kind of counter-procession against Pilate riding in from the west. We saw how Jesus was subverting and challenging the Roman Empire with his triumphal entry. Well now, Jesus is headed to the temple. And what we are going to see is that what Jesus does here is about challenging the temple leadership and the temple culture. He's challenging the way that they have been running things. Our passage begins with Jesus and the disciples making their way to the temple when they see a fig tree. Jesus approaches the fig tree. And Mark tells us that it's not the season for figs. But when Jesus sees that there's no fruit on this tree, he curses it? I mean, why? If you take this passage out of context, it seems, let's be frank, really petty, doesn't it? What if I drove to Chick-fil-A after church today, and I saw that it was closed, and I yelled, May no one ever eat here again! I'm pretty sure you all would think I'm being a little petty. Why does he do this? Why does Jesus do this? Well, you might remember a few weeks ago when I told you about something in the Gospel of Mark called a Markin sandwich. In the Gospel of Mark, there are moments when stories are weaved together. Jesus will talk about incident A, Then he'll move on to incident B, and then he'll go back to incident A, because those stories are meant to be read together. And if you think about our passages for this morning, we've got Jesus in a fig tree, then he goes into the temple, and when they leave the temple, what does he see? He sees that same fig tree. These stories are meant to be read together. And the fig tree, as a symbol for the people, was something that those who knew their Hebrew Bible would understand well. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah says about the unfaithfulness of the people of God. When I wanted to gather them, says the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine. There are no figs on the tree. Even the leaves are withered. 
and what I gave them has passed away from them. The unfaithfulness of the people is like a fig tree that has not produced any fruit. It's been planted. It's been cultivated. It's been pruned. When it, but when it comes time to actual fruit in the world, there is nothing there. So with that image in mind, Jesus walks into the temple. And immediately... He begins to drive away those who were doing business in the outer court of the temple. He overturns tables. He creates a ruckus. He gets angry. Why? Why is Jesus angry? I've heard all kinds of different explanations for why my whole life. Some people say, well, there were folks doing business in the temple and they weren't supposed to, and that's why he's angry. At a church I previously worked at, and I'm not being passive-aggressive, it's not this one. A church I previously worked at, there was a guy who got very angry one Sunday because there was a girl selling Girl Scout cookies in the church. And he mentioned this story. I think he was just mad because I had just bought the last box of Thin Mints. <laughs> Other people say that Jesus is angry because there are money changers in the temple. That's not why he's angry. Money changers were allowed to be there. When people paid their temple tax, they needed to do so with money that did not have a graven image on it, like the face of Caesar. Put a pin in that, because next week we're going to talk about that. So there were people who exchanged the money for them so they could pay their temple tax without having the image of Caesar on their money. The money changers were doing a good thing. So why is Jesus angry? Well, he tells us why. Because after he overturns tables, and after he makes this chaotic scene, Mark tells us that Jesus begins to sit down and teach the people. And this is what he says. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now, in order to understand why Jesus is so angry, to understand why he curses the fig tree, why he overturns the tables, why he's so mad, you have to understand what is happening in what he just said here. It's the key to unlocking the whole thing. And in this verse that I just read, Jesus is actually quoting two different verses from the Old Testament. And Jesus is kind of smushing them together. He can do that, I guess. And we're actually going to take these verses in reverse. And, and what I want to do is I want to show you what's going on in these passages that he quotes. Because that's the key for understanding why he is so mad. The second one that he references is Jeremiah 7.11. Has this house, which is called by my name 
become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says the Lord. This passage from Jeremiah chapter 7, the prophet is delivering a sermon on the steps of the temple. And in the sermon, Jeremiah calls the temple a den of robbers. Think about that phrase for a minute, a den of robbers. The den is not where the actual stealing takes place. The den is where thieves go to escape after they're done thieving. And the reason that Jeremiah calls the temple a den of robbers is because the people in his context, in Jeremiah's context, are acting unjustly toward their neighbors. And then going to the temple and going through the rituals and expecting that to have some sort of effect on them. The relationship with God is the central issue for Jeremiah, but that relationship cannot be separated from the relationship with neighbor. Hebrew Bible scholar Terence Fretheim says it this way in his commentary on Jeremiah. If love of neighbor is not practiced, that is a sign that the relationship to God has broken down, and religious rituals in and of themselves are of no value. The bottom line for Jeremiah is, you all keep coming to this temple to go through the motions of religion, yet you go out into the community and act as if you are no different than the rest of the world. And then Jesus borrows this line from Jeremiah. And he overturns the tables in the temple because he is accusing the people of his day of doing the exact same thing as the days of Jeremiah. They're all going through the motions of religion and yet they continue to act unjustly toward their neighbor. Their religion has no effect on them. The first reason that Jesus is angry is that the temple is no longer a place of transformation. People are no longer transformed. They are no longer made different. They act like robbers out in the world, and then they treat the temple like their den. The temple is no longer a place of transformation. That's the first reason that Jesus is mad. The other verse that is part of what Jesus says here comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, 
to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be a called a house of prayer for all peoples. In this passage from Isaiah, the people of God have returned to their land from being in exile in Babylon. And they are attempting to rebuild their community and their identity. And they are having a debate about who gets to belong to this temple that we've rebuilt. Who gets to be a member? And there were clearly some who argued that we need to keep the temple pure. We need to keep it holy. And the way that we keep it holy is we only allow people like us to belong to the temple. And Isaiah stands up, and in Isaiah 56, he dares to preach that the temple is not just for you. It is for all people. Isaiah argues that eunuchs should be allowed to worship there. That foreigners should be allowed to worship there. And this doesn't come from the goodness of Isaiah's heart. Here's what Walter Brueggemann says in his commentary on Isaiah. This is Yahweh's doing. This is God's doing. Yahweh is the recruiter and the welcome committee. As a consequence, the foreigners are inducted into the full life of the worshiping community, participating in both prayer and sacrifice. They are welcome. They are welcome because Yahweh intends that my holy mountain, my house of prayer, will be for all people who want to join, all who love, all who obey. Isaiah is arguing that what God wants is that this temple would be a place where all people can come and experience the covenant goodness of God. So we've got these two verses. We've got the verse uh, from Jeremiah about how the temple should not be a den of robbers. And then we've got this verse from Isaiah about how the temple should be for all people. Because the second thing that makes Jesus angry here is that the temple is no longer a place of welcoming. The temple is no longer a place of welcoming. And as we return to the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus clears out the temple, as we see the anger on his face, he places these two quotes together and he tells us that this is the reason that he's angry, that this is the reason that he's overturning tables. He teaches about this, and then he and his disciples walk out of the temple, and now technically we're spilling into Tuesday morning, but we need to look at what happens next. The next morning, the disciples and Jesus are walking and they come upon, lo and behold, that same fig tree. And you know what? 
It's shriveled, dried up, and it is withered down to nothing. The disciples say, Master, look, it's that tree you were mad at yesterday. And then Jesus turns to them and begins to teach to them about the nature of faith. He says to them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart but believe what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. Why did Jesus suddenly move into this topic? Why is Jesus talking about the nature of faith here? Well, this isn't just a convenient time to cram a little lesson in before breakfast. It's related to what has just happened. What Jesus says here is not just a general statement on how faith can move mountains. Jesus is talking about this mountain, the mountain right in front of them, the Temple Mount. And for the original readers of Mark, they were trying to figure out what role the temple played in their faith. And in fact, either shortly before or shortly after the Gospel of Mark was written, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. But what Jesus is encouraging his disciples and the early church and us today is that if we have faith, that genuine Christian community can be a house of prayer for all people, if we have faith that that can happen, it will happen. This is the kind of faith Jesus wants the disciples to have when it comes to being a community together. And if you think this isn't needed in today's world, I want to remind you about the events that have happened this past week. That a man walked into two houses of worship and fired on the people. And he published a manifesto describing why he had done it. And unless we think, well, that's in some faraway land, you need to know that in the manifesto he publishes, he lists the rhetoric in our own country, in our own land. That's on us. We are required as followers of Jesus to be welcoming, and to be loving to all people. And you don't get to decide who's in and who's out. So the question that we need to wrestle with, how are we doing? If Jesus were to walk into First Baptist Church today, would he encourage us? Or would he head to the Welcome Center and overturn some tables? The real question is, just like the metaphor of the fig tree and the temple, are we bearing fruit? The temple had done something that is a temptation for all churches, including ours. 
Jesus tells them that they need to be a place of welcoming and transformation, and instead the temple had turned inward. And the temple began to care more about its own policies and its own procedures and its own rituals than it did about being both welcoming and transformational. Not long ago at a church council meeting, our church council began our discussion by watching a video by the church health consultant Tom Rayner. The video was entitled, Warning Signs of an inward focus in a church. And Rayner argues that when a church begins to become inwardly focused, it is a sign of impending death for that congregation. What does it look like when a church becomes inwardly focused? It looks like when they no longer minister to the community outside their walls. Instead, they just have events and hope that people from the community come to them. A church is inwardly focused when worship is about personal preferences. A church is inwardly focused when the staff is treated like hired hands instead of ordained and called leaders. A church is inwardly focused when people pine for the past rather than hoping for the future. As I look at our church, there's a lot to be encouraged by. I think our church is, is, is trying to do these things, and, and we are working together to be both welcoming and transformational. I'm also convicted that there's things we need to be working on. And I want to do that with you. The temple had become inwardly focused, and that made Jesus very, very angry. The season of Lent, friends, is about preparing our hearts for Good Friday and for Easter. It's about examining our hearts and asking the difficult question, am I prepared to do what God is calling me to do? Are we prepared to do what God is calling us to do? What makes you angry? And better yet, the best question is, are the things that make you angry the things that make Jesus angry. What makes you angry? And friend, what are you going to do about it? Pray with me. God, we seek to be disciples who follow you. We seek to be a community of both transformation and welcoming. And that doesn't come from us, God. It comes from you and your Holy Spirit working in and through us. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to feel where you are calling us to go. 
so that we can be a community of faith that reaches out to the surrounding neighborhood and helps them to feel the love and peace of Christ. Comfort and convict us, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.